This is Digital Health Today, episode 54. So you have people that have built and sold real companies, mainly in healthcare, um, but some outside. And that's important because you have an angel investor base, but more importantly, you have a mentorship base uh, that can help these young entrepreneurs. Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators, and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. This episode is brought to you by Bear Grants for Apps and their new generator program. Bear Grants for Apps invites you to submit your innovative healthcare projects for one of their four challenge areas. Learn more and apply online at g4agenerator.com by March 23rd. Welcome back to Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders making the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and this is episode 54. I'm back in the UK after spending nearly two weeks in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm so glad to have had the opportunity to spend the time out there. I was thinking about the depth of the ecosystem that exists there. The investors, the tech companies, the entrepreneurs, the developers, the universities. All of it has built upon itself over decades to make the San Francisco Bay Area a global powerhouse in innovation across all areas of tech and touching all parts of our lives. As the pace of change accelerates in the healthcare sector, we're seeing that very power get unleashed in ways that we couldn't even imagine a few years ago. That got me thinking, what does it take for a region to become a world leader in the health tech space? We're seeing so many cities and even countries battle for the chance to be the digital health capital of the world. Aside from the San Francisco Bay Area, you have the usual suspects of Boston and San Diego, but we also have some up-and-comers like Denver, Colorado, with people like Mike Baselli and many others leading the charge. You have Chicago, Illinois, with organizations like Matter making an impact. And you have cities in the South, like Atlanta, Georgia, leveraging their strong corporate base. In Europe, you have London, Barcelona, Naples, Helsinki. There are even entire countries like Israel and Estonia who are working to make themselves the premier destination for investors, startups, and health tech innovation. And that's without going further east to China, Japan, and other Asia-Pac countries. So you can imagine my interest when I had the chance to speak to one of the leaders who has entered this fight. And yes, I do mean fight, because if you think that this competition to lead the world towards healthier lives and longer lifespans is anything other than an all-out brawl, you have another thing coming. My guest today is Christian Seal. He's the founder and general partner of Startup Bootcamp in Miami. He's also the founding partner of Next Gen Venture Partners. He's a global shaper at the World Economic Forum and a mentor at Mass Challenge. Christian is working to make Miami the top destination for companies working to access the Americas. That's North, South, and Latin America. You may be asking, why Miami? The home of Crockett and Tubbs? The playground of the rich and famous? The scene of a terrible but popular song by Vanilla Ice? I'm dating myself a little bit here. And now the destination for digital companies? Does that seem impossible? Christian tells us exactly why this city is so popular for innovators with big ideas, and it isn't about the beaches. There's plenty of success to point to already, and some companies you probably didn't even realize are based right there. In our conversation, we also had the chance to hear about a program that he's working on to help promote prenatal health for pregnant women. The program is called Square Roots. You can find out more about it at squareroots.com. And Christian explains how they're working to make cities, countries, and companies better and healthier places to be carrying a child. That's enough for me. Check out all the show notes at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 54. Now let's tune into the conversation with Christian Seal. Christian, it's great to see you. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Dan. We are here in Miami, sunny Miami, after the hurricanes have struck. 
Christian, I've told the listeners a little bit about your background, but I'm, I'm curious. You're fairly new in the healthcare space, and you had a whole career before you got started with the current projects that you're working on. We'll, we'll dive into those. But can you give the listeners a little bit of a background about what you did before you got involved in health technology and investment? Well, first of all, thank you for having me, and it's great to have more people coming from all over the world down to Miami. It's a lot of what we're trying to do is put Miami on the map as a global hub of healthcare innovation. And so how I got into this journey was after college, went down to Columbia on a Fulbright scholarship uh, and started an organization in the energy industry, very similar to what Fairtrade has done for coffee or chocolate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I was in Colombia in Barranquilla, where Shakira's from, um, the pop star, mm-hmm. as many people may know, I was hospitalized, I had two parasites, spent about 24 hours in the hospital with a temperature of 104. I actually ended up walking to the hospital because EMT and EMS, you know, isn't the same as what we have in the States. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I was discharged, I got a bill for $53 right there on the spot and didn't really think much about it at the time. Uh, but four years later, I was in New York and I dislocated my pinky playing tennis, very stupid accident, and went to the ER downtown, uh, waited there for six hours. Every single time I would look at the attending, you know, she would be treat me like I was a peon, basically. Mm-hmm. And finally, a plastic surgeon came in. All the plastic surgeon did was pull my pinky three ways. I got a bill a month later for $17,300. Wow. And it was uh, about a month before I was starting business school. And so I said, I'm going to build a healthcare company because there's obviously something really, really wrong. Uh, and so I spent about a year looking at different opportunities, particularly around this price arbitrage that existed, mm-hmm. medical travel, uh, prescription drug importations. But they all felt very idiosyncratic. And as I dove deeper, I saw two opportunities. The healthcare innovation landscape was booming. You had billions of dollars going into health tech, VC, and entrepreneurship. Uh, But in my view, there was a portion of the U.S. patient population that was not in that conversation. And that were broadly defined underserved communities. You can say Latinos, African Americans, dual eligibles, Medicaid populations. No one is really speaking about those folks as ones that we should build for. The second thing that I realized just by virtue of the fact that I had this organization in Latin America was that Miami as a market, which I can speak to later, is one that in my view has all the ingredients to become a hub of healthcare innovation, but no one was doing anything around it. So let's jump into that. You were telling me about the theses uh, that you were working on and, and some of the price arbitrage that you were looking at. So uh, tell us about that research and that, that work that you were doing there. Yeah. So I almost came really, really close to starting two companies. One was a medical travel business. There's companies um, like Medigo that maybe people have heard of, which is a marketplace uh, mm-hmm. for people looking to go elsewhere to get care done. There's a lot of them yeah, out there, I am. Um, I almost came really close to doing something in prescription drug importation. But as I said, to me, they felt very idiosyncratic. They didn't really move the needle. I want to help transform the health and lives of a billion people, and that was not going to do it. Um, so these theses were very simple. The first is that underserved populations in the U.S. were not part of healthcare innovation, the landscape. The second was that Miami as a market should be a Boston or San Francisco as it pertains to healthcare innovation. And so to put those two together came with the idea of bringing the accelerator program started boot camp here, subsequently raised the fund as well, um, which is backed by the Knight Foundation down here in South Florida, the Miami Children's Hospital, uh, Accenture, and then a variety of other private investors, right. with the goal being really three First, let's put Miami on the map as a place that you can build and scale healthcare companies because it's not the first thing that people think about. The second thing is 
move the needle around health inequity and health disparities. If you're born into the poorest zip code in the U.S., your average life expectancy is 30 years less than somebody born into the richest. And so we're seated here in a pretty nice area. We go a mile north to Overtown. People live 27 years less than people that live here. Wow. When you spend 3 to $4 trillion a year, there's something wrong with that, in my view. Uh, and so we work really hard with our entrepreneurs to say, look, you maybe are building for these patient populations. You should also expand your product down to these patient populations. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the third is to make money for our LPs as well as um, for the other folks, the Knight Foundation, Accenture, um, and the Miami Children's Hospital to find innovations that are relevant for their either system or customer base. Now, Accenture, you've mentioned, we had John Pugh on from Accenture. They've got a health tech challenge that uh, is running currently. I know that they've selected a few finalists. And actually, I guess by the time this airs, they probably will have announced it. I know they're doing it on the 8th or 9th of January in uh, San Francisco at the Startup Health Festival. It's great to see that, that you're working with them. The Knight Foundation is not what I thought it was. I presumed it was Phil Knight from Nike, but it's not that Knight group, is it? So who, who are they? So Knight Ritter was uh, one of the largest newspaper owners in the U.S., and they endowed a foundation to create informed and engaged communities. And the Knight Foundation sits here because this is where the Miami Herald was, which is one of their newspapers. And so their mandate across a variety of different cities is to create these informed, engaged communities. Miami was hit very hard after the financial crisis mm -hmm. in 2008-2009. And the Knight Foundation asked the question, how can we help our community come back? And the answer that I came up with was, was create an entrepreneurial community. Right. And so they've invested order of magnitude around $15 million in entrepreneurial activities. They brought Endeavor, which is a, a global organization for high-impact entrepreneurship here. They built co-working spaces. Uh, they created a, a conference called the Merge Americas. They gave us a $2 million grant to start. Uh, and so the Knight Foundation has been absolutely amazing to catalyze this ecosystem. And I can tell you four years ago when I started to think about Miami, I would talk to entrepreneurs and VCs and they would look at me like I had 12 heads. Now I have emails in my inbox from real GPs of VC funds asking what's going on down there or, you know, MIT grad, Stanford, Harvard, what, what's going on in Miami. So their work is is really working. I mean, we're, I think we're in the first inning of the World Series. It's going to take a while, but uh, there's been some real change since I started coming down here. So let's talk about that. I am based in the UK, and I deal with a lot of international companies, and when they look across into America, you're right, Boston comes up. It's very close to Europe physically. There's also San Francisco in the Bay Area, uh, all of Silicon Valley that, that's on offer there. San Diego also comes up as one of the destinations. To a lesser extent, Chicago, perhaps Austin, Texas, because of all the technology that's going on there, but probably not in the healthcare space. I know that Georgia as a state and Atlanta as a city are really pushing to, to get themselves on the map. And Miami has been relatively new for me, in my experience, I'd say within the last year. I had the opportunity to meet Jen at, uh, at Get Health, and I've begun to get more familiar with what's going on here in Miami. But tell me, before we get into some of the companies, you mentioned that there are some exits and things that have happened here. Tell me about just the environment, the, you know, the location of Miami, the infrastructure that's here, the organizations that are here that, that make it a great place to be. 
So let me give you a little bit about the facts of Miami and then speaking specifically to founders on why I think Miami is a better place for them than some other places that you mentioned. So the first is Miami on a per capita basis this is the second largest healthcare district in the U.S., which is a little known fact. Houston is the first. We're the second. We have over a, a thousand life science companies. We have 16 large hospital systems. Unfortunately, uh, it's said that about 50% of all Medicare fraud in the U.S. happens down here in South Florida. But to me, that represents a very big opportunity. We look a lot like what the U.S. will look like in 20 or 30 years. So our patient population down here, the diversity that we have, in my mind, is unparalleled. And so if you're building a company for the future, if you can do it here with all the challenges and with all the the different types of patients that we have, it can be ported to other places. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we've seen other health systems and large insurance companies say, I agree with that thesis. And that's why we're able to attract people down here to South Florida. You mentioned exits. We've had many multiple billion dollar exits in healthcare over the past decade. So uh, Mako Surgical was sold to Stryker for $1.65 billion. Simply Healthcare was sold to Anthem for a few billion. Uh, Phil Frost from Teva Pharmaceuticals is down here. Magic Leap, um, which many people may be familiar with, you know, has has raised multi-billion dollars. It was actually a spin-out of Mako. So Roni and and Maurice Ferre were the co-founders of Mako. Now Roni's the CEO of Magic Leap. Um, Not in healthcare, but a company called Chewy was just sold for $2 billion. So you have people that have built and sold real companies, mainly in healthcare, um, but some outside. And that's important because you have an angel investor base, but more importantly, you have a mentorship base Mm -hmm. uh, that can help these young entrepreneurs. And then you talked about a geography. Uh, We sit at the crossroads of Latin America. Many people say the capital of Latin America. So large pharma companies, instead of being in Mexico, Brazil, or Colombia and having country offices, they've said it makes more sense for us to go to South Florida and run our LATAM office operations out of there. We're seeing a lot of Israeli companies saying it makes more sense for us to come to Miami than it does more competitive markets. We're seeing European companies do the same. Asia, first time in a few years that we're seeing buses of Asian folks that are looking at you know the opportunities here. And so it's my belief that if you're a founder internationally, you can go duke it out in San Francisco, you can go duke it out in New York or Boston, come here where you have a very captive audience of health insurance companies, hospitals systems, pharma to a lesser extent, that want innovation, and you can rise to the top in a growing pond as opposed to be one of a thousand companies in San Francisco. Yeah, those are some really great points. And you said that Miami looks like a lot of what the U.S. is going to look like. Let's talk about what you mean by that. Are you talking about Spanish speaking? Are you talking about age demographics? Uh, Tell me what you mean by it. So all the above. Uh, So we have an extremely large Latin population. What is different with the Miami population than call it a California or a Texas is we represent the diversity within the Hispanic population. So Hispanic is a very wide-ranging term. You have Cuban, you have Colombian, you have Mexican, Argentinian. Where there are other large Hispanic populations, they tend to mainly be Mexican. We don't have that here. We have a very uh, unique place where it's literally the melting pot of Latin America. So if you're going to create a solution for the Mexican population, let's say, that's very different culturally than a solution for the Cuban population. And we have all those type of populations here. So that is the Hispanic population. Um, We have a very interesting Caribbean population. So Haitian, other Caribbean islands, a large African-American population. So when you talk about Caribbean, African-American, we have a very diverse population there. talk about elderly, um, they call Florida heaven's waiting room, right? Uh, So we have that population. So 
very large dual eligible population, very large un and underinsured population, not just in Miami, but across the state of Florida. And then let's dive in then to what you did. So you saw this opportunity when you were a patient, you experienced this firsthand, you've experienced some, some trouble that your father had with receiving his care. You were over in Berlin and you helped launch the startup boot camp over there that was in the energy sector, right? And when you turned your focus on Miami, what were some of the things that you did in order to get started? Because you took on a big task. I mean, there are lots of cities and countries around the world that are competing for this moniker, right? This 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 new opportunity around digital health and health tech and really putting themselves on the map. So you, you set a, a big task for yourself. What did you do to get started? So I would come to South Florida every two or three months. Where, where, so you were based in New York at the time? I was time? based in Boston. Boston. Okay. And I would do two things mainly. I would try to meet with anyone that would meet with me mainly around entrepreneurship and venture capital, and I just ask questions. What's happening? What do you need? Uh, Where do you see this ecosystem going? What are the types of things that would be needed to build something here? And what I heard over and over again was we need more mentorship, we need more capital, uh, we need more formal programs that will go ahead and and help build this ecosystem. So I had a very, uh, it's an open dialogue with the Knight Foundation around, I'm very committed personally to South Florida, what would be the most helpful? And what I heard from them is more programs that support entrepreneurs. Uh, and so having um, helped launch this program with Startup Bootcamp and their reputation internationally, I thought it was a great marriage to say, why don't we bring uh, internationally recognized accelerator program to South Florida, being their first one, and why don't we do it in an industry, one, I'm extremely passionate about and want to change, uh, and two, Miami can win at it. Miami, we have some strengths one is healthcare, two is trade and logistics, three is Latin American finance. Well, let's play to that strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I found was a receptivity to that. Uh, so my first meeting with uh, the CEO of the Children's Hospital, I didn't have to sell him. He said, Christian, I get it. We need to be the hub of healthcare innovation across the Americas. And they have a, a large venture fund. They're doing great work themselves. I was so surprised at how many yeses I got, having been an entrepreneur before and getting no's you know, every single day. It was extremely refreshing to people say, yes, Christian, let's do this. And at that point, it was execution. So the mentors were here because you've got some great exits. You've got some some successful entrepreneurs that have made it here. The capital follows the opportunities, right? I mean, you're not going to get people to come here with money if there's nothing to invest in. And I've had the same conversation across various cities in in Europe. People say, we need more risk-taking investors. And it's like, well, they're not going to come here if we don't have anything to invest in. So how did you then identify some of the organizations or cultivate some of the organizations or attract them to become fundable startups. So it's interesting. Miami, uh, they call it the playground of the rich and famous. So you have people that are here that have a ton of money. Uh, They just don't see a business reason to do anything here in South Florida. And so a lot of my limited partners in the fund have a second house here. And I met them in New York or I met them in D.C. I met them somewhere outside of Miami. And they said, I had no idea that any of that stuff was happening in Miami. I want to get involved because I want a reason when I'm down here not just go to the beach. I want to do something. Uh, So one, we have the money here. And as you said, if you have a good deal, the money will come. Second, a lot of folks, particularly that have large dual eligible populations, large Hispanic populations, understand the thesis that Miami is a very unique market and if something's working here they could port it to another 
geography. And that's how we're getting some of the larger healthcare systems or some of the larger health insurance companies to start to spend more time here. Uh, and that's been very, very helpful because it's this virtuous cycle where if we're able to get big brands down here, we attract better startups and it plays on itself. We'll get right back to the interview, but I wanted to take a minute to tell you about our partnership with Bayer and their Grants for Apps program. After five years of success with the G4A Accelerator program and the Dealmaker program that was just introduced in 2017, Bayer has introduced another new program to help foster partnerships between Bayer and early stage companies. Similar to the Dealmaker program, the new Generator program is designed to establish commercial relationships with companies developing solutions that focus on their four challenge areas. This program is about making self-care accessible and achievable, and they're looking to tackle the challenges of managing self-care, external pain management, improving skin and sun protection, and nutrition support. The prize for this program is perhaps one of the most valuable of all, a commercial relationship with a global corporate customer. Applications open the week of January 8, 2018, but don't delay. The deadline to apply is March 23, 2018. Get full details on their website at g4agenerator.com. That's G, the number four, A, generator.com. Now let's jump back to the conversation. So your first class was last year, is that right? And you are only digital health. Startup boot camp in Miami, it's exclusively on digital health. So Correct. how did that process go? How many people did you have apply and how many went through the program in your first cohort? So part of the thesis is that we can learn things from other industries and that we can learn from other geographies as well. So went to 30 different cities uh, in the year 2016 and had saw about a thousand companies had 300 to 400 apply and then ended up bringing nine into the actual program and then made three investments outside um, so we've invested in 12 companies to date we just did a selection process two weekends ago where we brought in 13 new companies uh, and then the second cohort will start uh, end of January uh, but we really like to go places that other people don't so I've been to Israel uh, a few times to Latin America uh, to Canada and maybe invest in markets that maybe aren't the triad of Silicon Valley, New York, Boston. So I've done something in Silicon Valley, Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, and a variety of other places. So tell us about some of the companies, some of the, I mean, I'm sure that you have a lot of great stories, but if just just a couple that, that spring to mind about companies that came in, where were they in their process and their development, and, and where are they now having gone through the, the first class? Sure. So we really focus on accelerating commercial traction because, as you said, if there's a good deal, then people will come. And so a good deal typically means customers. And so that's our laser focus, which I don't necessarily know is the case generally. And there's this badge of honor around I raise money, and that's great. But it's, okay, now the real work starts. So we say, don't worry about the money. Let's focus on the customers. Uh, And so we were proud to say that eight out of the nine companies got some type of commercial relationship, a contract, real revenue dollars out of the program, uh, which is something that we really, really will focus on. And a few of those stories are we had a company that's called Care Angel, which is using artificial intelligence to augment the caregiving process. And the entrepreneur had previously sold his company to Teladoc. And so you could argue somebody that's already exited doesn't really need an innovation program. But he came to us and said, look, I have this really good product, but I don't have a customer base yet. And we got him his first two customers, which are big accounts, the University of Miami, which is the only academic medical center down here in South Florida, Jackson Health, which is one of the largest public 
hospitals, uh, and then a few other large um, insurance companies, which we can't talk about yet. But I mean, for him, it was the proof of concept that he needed to then go sell to other folks. We had another company called ACES Health, uh, which is doing clinical trial optimization and patient data capture. And they came to us with barely a working product. Um, now the Miami Children's Hospital has invested a significant amount of money alongside a, another venture fund down here in South Florida and ourselves, um, and they're working with some of the larger sponsors and CROs in the world. Uh, so in just in a year, they've had a lot of progress and you know, are starting to look like a very successful company. And what stage are the companies in when they, come, when they apply to be in the program? So we really have three different categories. You have your folks. We, we won't do anything that doesn't have a product just because we found it's very hard to under, get a, a CIO at a hospital or you know an executive insurance company to see something on pen and paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one, just product and not really any commercial traction. The second is some type of customer base, um, you know, maybe $100,000 in revenue up to 500K uh, and are interested in opening up a new market. So we had a company in Salt Lake City that was you know, doing close to a million dollars in revenue. They had no market here in the Southeast, and so they came to us, and we, and we helped them with that. Uh, and then you have your international companies that maybe have a base in Israel or Canada, a real business, and they say, look, we're trying to get into the U.S., and we agree with you that we don't want to go burn capital in New York, Boston, San Francisco. We're going to come to Miami create a moat here and then expand outwards. But the, the common denominator is that all of them have products. All of them have products. And yeah. if we had our way, everyone has revenue. Okay. Uh, I would say it's probably splits 50 to 70% have revenue. The rest either have some type of proof that there's customer demand because a big part of what we do is we don't purport to know everything in healthcare by any stretch of the means. We go survey a large customer base around what their needs are and then go find relevant solutions. And so we won't bring a company down to South Florida if we don't feel like there's not a commercial relationship that we can help facilitate for them. I'm guessing you had hundreds of applicants for your first cohort and you made 12 investments. Uh, Is there a huge separation between the 288 companies that you didn't select and the 12 that you did? I mean, uh, or, or were there just a lot of people up there in that, you know, top 20, top 50 companies and you just had to select the, the 12? I'll give you a few examples of companies that we thought maybe weren't in that top 10 and they pushed their way into the top 10. Uh, one was the company I was referencing before Aces Health. They, in our view, were a little too early, just had a working product, really didn't have much commercial traction. They called our respective phones, myself and our head of BD, probably 50 times and would not stop until they got an answer. Now that said to me that they were the tenacious entrepreneurs that were going to be so persistent that they were going to get things done. And they came in to these two days of selection days and they wowed a lot of people. And so we were skeptical, but they showed us that we were wrong. And that's the type of stuff that we really, really like. Yeah. Uh, that determination, because we all know healthcare is very hard. You're going to get uh, 10 no's before you get a yes. And you need to understand that no means not now. And no means you haven't given me a good enough reason to say yes. Yeah, yeah. And it is unfathomable how many people just go away at no. I'll give you another example. Um, This actually just happened. Uh, I'm not going to name the name of the company. We did not select a company at selection days. And the company came over to me and said, I think you're wrong. And I said, okay, let's talk about it. 
and he convinced me around why we should take him. He didn't take no for an answer. And, and that, to me, is what you need to do in anything in life, but particularly in sales and particularly in entrepreneurship. Yep. Uh, and so what that means tactically is we get 300 applications. Find a way to come to us. I'm so impressed by the people that will send four emails via someone that I respect, that they found on LinkedIn or maybe one of our partners, what have you. It's not good enough just to put in an application. Maybe your product is going to stand out for itself and you know, you're the needle in the haystack, if you will. But give more social proof around the fact that there are five other people that are endorsing your solution. Get on the phone with us beforehand. Don't just wait for us to dictate yeah. the process. Dictate the process for yourself. I, I can't reiterate this point strongly enough because even as we're sitting here, Christian, uh, you know, you're becoming even more animated talking about the importance of this. And I talked to companies. It was just actually a few weeks ago. I, I think I was in Berlin speaking with a company, and they were talking to me about their attempts to get into the U.K. market. And they said to me that, Someone has expressed to them that if they've emailed twice and they haven't gotten a response from a UK person they were contacting, that that means that they're that culturally they're not interested and they should just give up. And I was thinking exactly what you were saying. I wanted to say to this person, are you out of your mind? I mean, you if you believe in your product, you need to keep calling them and you need to find ways to get noticed. You need to send them... A- letters that include a dinosaur, a toy dinosaur with it and saying, I, I just, you know, wanted to make sure that your XYZ, whatever it was that we're talking about, doesn't go extinct. You know, just something <laughs> something like that, that. that sort of gathers there, you know, or, or like a little magnifying glass. So I just want you to take a closer look at this offer. You know, so those sorts of sales, you know, grinding it out, working it out, tenacious, yes, some people are gonna think you're a complete pain in the backside and they're not going to want to talk to you, but those people like yourself, you were just explaining they demonstrated that they had the the tenacity to keep fighting this healthcare challenge that we've got. So that's that's great to see you light up when you're talking about it. I always say that you never got in trouble for over communicating. So unless somebody explicitly tells you stop emailing me or stop calling me, <laughs> you should do it until they tell you that. Yeah. Because there's two things that are gonna happen. They're gonna tell you no outright, don't ever contact me again, or they're gonna give you a shot. It might take you 45 emails, uh, but they're going to give you a shot. And I live it every single day. I mean, so I've raised money as an entrepreneur now. I've raised money as an investor. I can't tell you how many no's I've gotten. Uh, But one, if no's don't motivate you, then you shouldn't be doing this. Uh, And so I think, I mean, one thing that I tell, you know, to get back to your question around how do people differentiate themselves, I ask two questions. What's your why? What's your purpose? Mm -hmm. And what's your what? What, What's your outcome? Too many people are in entrepreneurship, not just in healthcare, that are just doing it for the sake of doing it because it's a sexy thing. It's the rock star of, you know, our age. And if you don't have a really strong purpose, a really strong why, after the third or fourth rejection, you're going to say, I'm out or I, you know, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. So you need to just be so focused on that purpose to get yourself to a yes. Yeah. So Christian, you were talking about some of the advantages of, of being based here in Miami and the international aspects of the, the draw of using this as a beachhead to, to take on not just the U.S., but also to be able to reach into Latin America. When you compare Miami to other world-class cities in the U.S., where does this sort of stack up in terms of the talent pool, the cost of living, the quality of life, things like that? Sure. I can say the quality of life, and you can probably, the audience see it out the window. The, view, we have a pretty good quality of life. Um, so talent cost, 
much cheaper than in New York or San Francisco, even for Atlanta, for uh, lead engineers, for sales and marketing, for CCFOs, uh, cost of living, uh, last statistics that we have, it's about half the cost of New York and about a third less uh, than San Francisco. And when you look at our workforce, uh, you have 50% foreign born. So what that typically means is they're multicultural and multilingual, which is really important given where the U.S. is going. Uh, and I think that's why you see a lot of companies starting to look to South Florida uh, to have a, a real presence. Uh, we have 250,000 college students. Uh, we've had a net influx over the past five years. So uh, over 200,000 people have come here because uh, they see that opportunity. Uh, and then the state of Florida itself um, is the fourth largest state in the U.S. And we represent less than uh, 4% of total venture capital. So my belief is there's some real opportunities here that people just are missing. Great. Um, well, there's another thing that I want to talk about. It, it, after this podcast airs, we've got another one coming up that's around fertility. And there's a project that I know you've been involved with, which, which is around wellness for pregnant women. It's called the Square Roots Program. And can you share a little bit about what that program is and what the impact is and how you've gotten some support around the country for it? So it started an individual named Murad Farid, a really interesting entrepreneur, has built and sold a few companies, was on an Olympic soccer team. Uh, he started a company uh, called Delos, which is the first building standard for health. And the whole thought is we spend 90% of our time indoors, in the home, in the office, but we haven't designed our space for optimal health. And so partnered with the Mayo Clinic to create a well-living lab to look at what are the effects of sound, light, air, a variety of other things on our health. Millions and millions of square feet are certified under the well standard, which is analogous to the LEED standard for green building. Out of that, he said, okay, that's a good start to transform health, but what are we doing around maternal health? We have one of the lowest maternal and infant mortality rates in the world, close to what developing nations have. Uh, yet we're spending $50,000 a birth, which is on average about five times more uh, than what developed nations spend. And we look at end of life, we look at midlife, we look at all these times when it's not very formative. The most formative time in our life is when we're in the womb. Chronic stress can reduce the frontal lobe by 30%. There's a variety of disease states that you can track to the womb. So his thesis was we need to do a better job of birthing healthy moms, not just in the U.S., but in across the globe. So he took a page from Climate Change, uh, which is the C40 initiative, that said cities are really the mechanism at which we can push change. We know our government's broken uh, in the U.S., and you could argue the same thing's happening, but cities really have been able to move the needle. Um, so created a standard, uh, which is called the Birthmark Standard, which is a playbook uh, for cities, and got 40 different mayors. It's the first time that at the Council of Mayors, which is basically where all the mayors come together, they signed a proclamation that maternal health is going to be an important issue. We've come up with a model which is we call the three C's. So one, challenging cities, challenging corporations, and challenging countries to make their respective C the best environment to have a healthy baby and a healthy mom. 
and uh, we'll be partnering with a very international, large institution on doing this. We have partners like NASA, uh, have partners uh, like the Mayo Clinic, like Delos, a variety of other folks, uh, Carnegie Hall, which are creating these lullabies. Everyone has a mom. Everyone gets it. And why is it that women's health, in my view, is completely underfunded? So it's, it's, it's bringing attention to what we believe is one of the most important, actually the most important healthcare issue uh, that we're not talking about. And it's, and it's specifically during the term of pregnancy, or is this about really the start of life and, and carrying it on to healthy cities, healthy, healthy living? And so, so we have to start somewhere. Yeah. So we're starting the standard currently is for pregnancy. But you are 100% right, then there has to become something for after pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's really how do we go ahead and look at the most formative time, which is in the womb and then probably up until five years, to make an impact there as opposed to pouring all our dollars into extending life a few months. So how do people find out more about Square Roots? 40 uh, birthmark cities that have signed on to the uh, birthmark standard um, will be launching a challenge in 2018 with this reputable international organization uh, and then going to be creating a birthmark labs which is very similar to what the Well Living Lab at Mayo Clinic that Delos has created. A physical space, modular, maybe even traveling that will look at all the checklists and all the uh, determinants around optimal maternal health. Excellent. So I've got six questions that I like to ask every guest, Christian. You ready? I'm ready. What is a saying or phrase that motivates you? I've got a few. Uh, One, be outstanding, nothing less, and play full out. And that means just absolutely play full out in everything you do in life. What's some advice that you would give to other innovators working in healthcare? The first is customer demand. We find too many people that have built a really amazing technological solution and there's no customer base. So I agree with the thesis that there's a lot of waste in healthcare and if you're you know, a smart person, good technologist, come into healthcare and find someone that's an expert in healthcare to pair up with, but go talk to an actual customer, go talk to someone that's gonna pay for this Uh, And sometimes the person that uses something in healthcare isn't the one that pays for it. So make sure before you build anything that you have someone that's willing to pay for it. Uh, Because way too many times we find some great products that just do not have a buyer. What's a book that you recommend to listeners? Uh, I have three books. Uh, One is called Principles, which is by Ray Dalio. Why I'd really recommend it is if you take a principled approach to life, then you start to see patterns as opposed to seeing everything idiosyncratic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, we talked about Tim Ferriss, um, Tools of Titans, uh, and his new book, Tribe of Mentors, that just came out. You recommend both those, Tools yeah. of Titans and Tribe of Mentors. I actually haven't read either one of those, okay. but I am a fan of his. But yeah. it, you recommend both of those, yeah? yeah I would. Okay, I'll pick them up. What's a piece of technology that you wouldn't want to live without? My Nutribullet. Nutribullet. So All right. that's uh, the first time for that one. I've got one of these as well. Tell me why you love it. I uh, our bodies. Um, I'll speak for myself. I eat a lot of acid. So if you eat um, any type of meat, if you eat any type of cheese, if you drink alcohol, uh, we we put a lot of acid in our bodies, and we need to have a more alkaline diet. Uh, and so what the Nutribullet allows me to do is take a lot of water content rich food. So mainly kale, spinach. 
and, and blend it up. And so I'm consuming copious amounts of green food that I wouldn't be able to eat if I had to <laughs> eat it. But with the Nutribullet, I can make juices throughout the day that do two things. One, get my alkaline levels up. But two, more importantly, they satisfy me before I eat. So if I know I'm going to go to a buffet or something or have a big meal, I drink the green juice and I'm not as hungry anymore. If I gave you $5 million to invest in health technology today, where would you invest it? So I would say uh, two themes. One is looking at products that are impacting people, as I said it before, life flow. So what are those products that are touching you as a patient? And no one's going to have to tell you to download them. Did anyone tell you to download Uber, Airbnb? Did anyone show you how to use those products? No, you, you know how to do that. In healthcare, we have this really weird paradigm where it's, I'm going to go hire someone to do my patient engagement strategy and then force it upon my membership base. That doesn't work. So finding more companies that are in the life flow that you and I can download and use, like an Airbnb or an Uber. Uh, and the second would be companies that are looking after underserved populations, Medicaid, dual eligibles, and that maybe are taking a model that worked in Africa or worked in Latin America um, with a lower income and tougher patient population that we, we can apply to the states. So the last question is, yeah, we're going to make a donation to a, a charity of your choice. Which charity have you selected? And can you tell me about what they do? Questbridge, which is started by Michael McAuliffe. He's on the podcast uh, with Tim Ferriss. I highly recommend that episode. So what he does is takes the U.S.'s top schools, Ivy Leagues, and a variety of others and connects them with lower-income students that might not know that those institutions exist or don't have a pathway to get there. And so he has, through his organization, um, provided $2 billion of funding directly to lower-income students that comes from the universities. And so I think we just have an inequality gap here that continues to expand and the work that he's doing to uh, make sure that you know more children have an opportunity because in my belief talent is everywhere but opportunity is not um, I'm a big supporter of what he's doing great questbridge.org questbridge.org yeah. yeah so we'll include a link to that on the show notes and encourage other people to make donations that sounds like a great cause thanks for nominating them how can people follow what you're doing and keep in touch with you so add me on LinkedIn. Um, you know, happy to talk if anyone's interested. Uh, and then Twitter handle at uh, Christian Seal. Uh, and then maybe we can include some links to some of the different websites and stuff in the show notes. Excellent. We will make sure we do that. And uh, thanks very much for taking Thank time to, to speak with the audience. There you have it. That was Christian Seal of Startup Bootcamp in Miami. Check out the links to everything we discussed in the show notes for this episode at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 54. We have so many great guests coming up, I don't even know where to start. We have Brendan Spiegel from Cedar sinai who's going to talk to us about the work he's doing in virtual reality. We have Dale Bierman from Pacifica, who's going to talk to us about mental health. And we have Aaron Bali from Carbon Health, who's pioneering innovation right at the point of care. Martin Kelly is joining us from HealthXL, Bledon Rees from the ECH Alliance and the Digital Health Society, and so much more. So be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And of course, please take a minute to leave a review on iTunes. It helps build our digital health community and reach other innovators working to transform healthcare. Don't forget to check out Bayer and their new Grants for Apps Generator program. Applications are open until March 23rd. Find the link on our website or go straight to g4agenerator.com. You can follow me on Twitter at HealthTechDan and follow the show at dhealthtoday. That's all for me for now. Speak with you soon on episode 55. And until next time, keep on innovating.